let's get to the word. So we were, uh, Pastor and I were talking about this, this sermon series, and we were like, so what, what, should we, what, what should we talk about? And this context came that everybody claims Christianity, but they're not living it. Like everybody says that they're born again, but there's no proof, right? So you have like friends of yours that like you, growing up, uh, and James is here, we, our youth group grew up going to uh, like conferences and we would hang out and we would literally like go to other people's house, get pizza and read the Bible. Weird, right? Different. All the young people in the room were like, what? Like, that's what we did because we were like, God is awesome and we're freaks of Jesus and all that stuff, right? So, but uh, w- what would happen in those moments is like the God's presence would come and like you would be able to tell who was really saved or not. Because you, the one way in the church that you can tell if somebody's saved or not is if you ask them to pray in public and they stutter. That was supposed to be a joke. No, y'all like, ooh. No, no, like, like for real, right? So, it's, so what would happen is like uh, they would ask somebody to pray and they would be like, Father God, we thank you so much for everything that you've done. And like they haven't even prayed. They're just doing all the prolific intro, right? And then you'd ask somebody else to pray and they'd be like, uh, so Lord... Uh, thank you for the carpet, Lord. You just, we love the strands of the carpet. Thank you for the plushness, Lord. Like, and what we started to figure out is like, you say that you're a Christian, but where's the proof? Look at your neighbor and say, where's the proof? Well, I want you to write this down. I'm not even in my sermon yet, but look, I want you to write this down. The proof of your Christianity is not in your salvation. It's not in your salvation. It's not in that moment that you gave your heart to Christ. You weren't born again. You just gave your life. Kind of like this, if you were to go swimming and you're, you were to, anybody ever almost drown, <laughs> right? You were saved. Somebody came, you gave your life to that person, they saved you. But if you jump back in the water, you're still saved, but you haven't been born again. Born again is I've almost drowned, so I'm not going to do that no more, and I'm going to take on this new life. So what we have is we have a lot of Christians that are drowning that claim to be Christians. But there's no proof. If you were a Christian, you'd be able to swim. Is this making sense? It's making sense. So let's talk. Uh, I'm going to teach today. I'm so excited because I get to teach literally a sermon that Pastor Martin wrote, and he, like, taught it to me. So, like, I get to, like, play in daddy's clothes today. Like, literally. It's so cool. Like, so he called me this morning. He prayed for me and anointed me. So, like, I'm, I come in the, like, literally in the form of Pastor Martin. This is going to be so much fun. I pray that, that that thing comes on me. So here we go. Let's open up our Bibles. Um, let's go to uh, Isaiah 9-6. We usually read this scripture at Christmas. I'm not sure. We read a lot of scriptures in, um, out of context. Like we read it when it sounds good. Like we take bits and pieces and like we apply it to things that don't, uh, you know, like when we're sinning and we know that we're wrong and then we say, thou shalt not judge. Like, yeah, that's true, but you kind of shaved some pieces off of it and copied and pasted parts that you wanted. This is one of them. Because Isaiah 9 and 6 is not meant for Christmas. This scripture was literally written after Jesus had gone through puberty. Like, so like Jesus, like, so when we read the word of God and it says that Jesus was in the temple and his mom was like, what are y'all doing? People like he was a boy. Like Jesus was like a man. He was like seven, eight years old because Jewish custom is different. Like you're not a man at 21. You're a man once you're born. Like they don't save puberty for when it happens physically. Like, no, you're a man now. Like I'm going to train you now. Okay. So that, okay. No worries. So Isaiah 9 and 6 isn't, isn't a Christmas verse. Listen to this. It says, for unto us a what? Child is born. To us a son is given. And the, the what? The religion? The religion. The religion. No, like the, the religion. He brought Christianity to, 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 the, to the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called... Wonderful counselor, which means that he's going to help you through your struggle, not just deliver you. He will be called what? Mighty God. So he's, also, he's going to be glorious and amazing, but he's going to be mighty God. He's going to judge you. People come to the faith, and they don't want to deal with the word judge, but when you die, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to be judged immediately. It says that God is going to take you against a record of who you are, and he's going to make you face the music. The word also says that many will say what? Master, master. And he's going to say, I don't know you, I don't know you. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, which means that you cannot, 
mm, can't say that. You cannot disconnect yourself from God as your father. He always is, always will be. He's always been thinking about you. So when you ask these really silly questions, like, who, is, who am I that God is mindful of me? Like, David wrote it because he was in sin and broken. But after Jesus died, when you read this message, everlasting father means that even if your daddy left, you've always had a daddy. You've just never been introduced you don't know what he's, he's always been around, but you don't know what he smells like. Like, sometimes when I'm walking certain places, like, I smell my great-grandmother. And me and Vanessa, we were in New Orleans, and I was walking, and, like, I literally almost snapped my neck. And she was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, I, sw- I, sw- I smelled Momo because I'm familiar. Your father's always been around. You just don't know what he smells like. You don't know what he looks like, but he's always been looking at you. Okay. Let me, I'm, I'm building, right? Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, the prince of chaos, the prince of struggle, the prince of adversity, the prince of, well, you know, pray my strength in the Lord. You know, the prince of, I ain't got it all, but God's never on, I mean, he's, he's on time when he needs to be, but he's not on time in my situation, right? Like the prince of, I can't eat and I'm never full when I eat, right? The prince of, I ain't got enough money. No, no, the prince of peace in everything. So if you are experiencing the opposite of peace, it's not God. But we apply this to Christmas because it makes us feel good. But what, what, what's being written is that God is all of these things. But the most important is that he wants you to have peace. Amen? You've been in a place where you didn't have peace. What's that like? You can't sleep. You can't eat. You're worried about everything. Like, like you lose your hair. Like you get acne. Like, like your rhythm is thrown off. And then when peace is introduced to you, it's like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be. But the church is giving people peace in a falsehood. So we're birthing a nation of people that are trying to get their own peace rather than creating peace on earth for others. So we are literally, this is the title of my sermon, birthing a nation. Birthing a nation. Birthing a nation. Birthing a nation. The church is here, but the question is, what type of baby have we been pushing out? Where people are going to church at numbers that are astronomical right now. But, like, you ever been to a place and ate, like, their, their catfish? Like, anybody ever been to Papados? Anybody? They have this, they have this seafood, uh, seafood pasta, and, like, it used to taste different. And then I tasted it, like, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, it tastes different. It's the same pasta, but it tastes different. So, like, we're creating Christians, but they're, they're different. They're, they're, they're Christians. We're birthing a nation of Christians, but this new batch? Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, this don't taste like grandmama's cookies. Like, you know, Ron, you know, like your mama, how she make the cookies. Like you can do your best, but like when you taste yours, they can taste like hers, but they don't, like there's something. And the only way that you are able to say that something is different is if the ingredients are different. Now we're teaching people about salvation and get right with Jesus. And that's not the gospel. Your salvation is not the gospel. Jesus dying for your sins is not the gospel. Bringing your burdens to Jesus for him to save you is, what was that? I didn't hear, I didn't hear you. It's what? Oh, not the gospel. You hear them? They, so the question is, what is the gospel? Can we talk about it for a couple of weeks? Okay, here we go. Birthing a Nation, part one. It says that the government will be what? On his shoulders. So what is government defined? Government, based off of your, 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 uh, your Webster, your dictionary, source, all of this stuff. This is what it means. It is the governing body of a nation. Wait a minute. The government is a governing body, not a set of laws. The government is a governing body of a nation, state, or community. So when we see that God is bringing the government on his shoulders, he's not bringing the Ten Commandments. He's not bringing a whole bunch of, like, legislature and all that stuff that happens, like, in policymakers. He's not bringing policy. He's bringing a body and a nation on his shoulder. So the word of God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not, right, shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
So when God comes in the form of a baby on earth and goes through those 33 years of his life, people think that he was supposed to have given them like how to live, what to do, like give us the laws because we know how to deal with the law. The Roman Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Persians, all of the Babylonians, all these different people had rulership, but God never wanted us to have rulership. He wanted us to have dominion. Rulership is able to tell you what to do with your life. Dominion creates resources so that you have a choice in picking how you want your life to go. There is a difference. So when God brings a government on his shoulders, he's not bringing laws. It says that he is bringing, government is a governing body. So he's bringing people to make sure that what God told him to do can be done with the people that are on his shoulders. That's you and me. So here's my first point. Everything but the humans. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ as it comes to birthing a nation. Ready? These are pastor's notes. I put my spin on them, but this is his sermon, and it's, it's absolutely like poetic and romantic the way this thing is written. First thing is everything but the humans. Look at your neighbor. Say everything but. Not everything and. Not everything, comma, some of the time as it applies. Everything but the humans. Mankind was designed to have dominion over everything on earth except for other human beings. So any system that stands that aids in confining, disenfranchising, and oppressing men is not of God. Children in cages in Arizona is not of God. <laughs> a woman being taken advantage of of her physical body and us asking her what was she wearing is not of God. A family that's on welfare that needs it and is working three or four jobs, but then because of gentrification and the busing system, they can't get to work, and now they have to lose their children, and their children go to Boys Town, and then some of them go to foster care, and then all the money that they have is garnished, and then they can't use WIC and EBT anymore, and now you get upset with the mother because you say, you know what, you don't know what you're doing with your life, but she's like, all my resources have been taken away. Then she has to go to court to try to get her babies back that she pushed out, but now the government owns. That's not of God. A judicial system that believes that resisting arrest is a point of death, that I, I resisted arrest and now my consequence is death, that's not of God. A country that says, one nation under God, but takes prayer out of school. Like, a place where we say that common law means that you're basically married. Did you marry her and marry him or not? Living together doesn't mean anything unless there's a ring on the finger. So what, it's not of God. So if there's anything happening on earth that is taking control of people and not giving them life, you, it's, it's not the gospel. It's not God. It's not Christianity. Like you cannot take somebody's life in the name of God. You can't. Like it's impossible. Look at your neighbor and say it's impossible. If it flies in the face of free will, it isn't God. If I take your choice away, if I take away your choice, that's not, that's not of God. If you have to choose which better school to put your child in in our city, it's not of God. Why do we have to choose which education is best for some of our kids and not for all of them? That's not a God. Can I talk? Like, that's not a godly system that you got to figure out. Like, you know what? You have the grades to go over here, but, you know, we're just going to give up on you. Want me to prove it to you? Genesis 1, 27. Pastor Martin said this. He said, anything outside of the kingdom is trash. So teach the kingdom. That is the gospel. There's no such thing as a salvation gospel or a prosperity gospel. Like you, you, there used to be this thing where people would ask, what do you do? Oh, I teach prosperity. It's not the gospel. I teach healing. My, my ministry is healing. It's not the gospel. I have a women's ministry. That's not the gospel. Teaching people to get to freedom, that's the gospel. Here we go. Genesis what? 127. It says, so God created man in his own image, which means we've already talked about this, which means that we are God. We're the same. He is in more authority. We're God, small g. But we, everything that our daddy has, we have. Remember we talked about that. We disassociate ourselves with God thinking that we're different than God. But if a dog has a dog, it's a dog. If a duck has a duck, it's a duck. If God has a God, then we are literally in his essence. Amen? In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female, which basically means he created a figure and he put both male and female in him, which means that men and women do not have different qualities. They are the same, but they are treated differently. They are the same. You have the same power. We have the same makeup, not genetically. I'm not talking about physical, but our spirits are the same. We have the same power. But the women, you have a group and a world that you rule in, and so do men. We don't cross those because that's not the gospel. We do not cross them. Genders are e they're equal. They're beautiful in their space. But there's some people that do not like their greens to touch their cornbread. God made it very, very specific, very specific. He made them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, underline this, be fruitful and what? Multiply. So bear things, and once you bear it, multiply it. It's not, this is not children. This is as kingdom citizens, whatever is, whatever is worth doing is worth duplicating. So if you have chaos in your house, you can't just be fruitful in chaos. You multiply it. You take it everywhere you go. Like, okay, so like if y'all are a house, we just yell in our house. You duplicate that with the people that are around you. Because some things that were like heinous to me when I go to some people's houses, if I go to their house long enough, I'm yelling too. Look at, look at it. Say, I'm not just fruitful. I multiply. He said, fill the earth and subdue it. He said, so once you've taken care of that and you've birthed all of this stuff, put it in the earth and subdue it. Take care of it, not people. So if you're going to be an owner of a business, own the business, not your employees. If you're going to get married and have children, have your children and take care of them. You do not own them. They're not even yours. They are a gift from God. Have dominion over the what? Write it down. The fish, the birds, the oxen, and then another term, it says the creeps. Some people are creeps, but that's not them doesn't matter how ridiculous your neighbor is that peeks through the windows. He's creepy, but you can't lock him up in your basement. You can't. Somebody said, uh, yeah, so Ralph, let him out. Like, <laughs> we got him. <laughs> Everything that moves on the earth. Anywhere in this passage, does it say have dominion over children? Does it say have dominion over a specific race or culture group or another? Does it say that even pastors can rule the people in the pew? So the first point is that you are able to have rulership over everything except for what God made, which is humans. We together? We trekking? Next. Point number two. That we are Jesus' finished work. Pastor Martin wants some things to be said in this sermon because he wants to take, he doesn't want to like slowly take your religion apart. He wants to shatter it and rebuild it. How many of y'all brought your religion with you? Yeah, y'all good. Dr. Monroe used to do that. How many of y'all brought your religion with you? And like he would come here and other people that don't go to our church would come here. And they'd be like, yeah, I got my religion. He was like, all right, we're about to destroy it. And they'd be like, all right, I'm out of here. Like, you know, like, like people were just so broken. Like you're coming from my religion. But God didn't come to give you religion. He came to give you freedom. He came to give you himself. So what was the second point? We are Jesus' finished work. When Jesus died, his assignment ended and ours began. Remember, he had a government on his shoulders. So when he came and he died, it was over with. When they buried him, we were buried with him. It says that we were buried with Christ Jesus. So if we are buried with Jesus but we're still alive, we're a seed. So after that, once Jesus is buried in the ground, we're buried with him, he's dead, but now we're supposed to sprout and take root. But we have a lot of Christians that are still underneath the ground that are like, oh, I'm so saved. Yeah, you're saved in the ground. But as long as your life, there's no, like, threat to your life, you're not being used by God. The blessing of God comes with threat. Jesus was even so bad that he says, God, I pray that you bless them as they're persecuted. He never asked for them to be delivered from persecution. He just said, God, I pray that you take them through persecution, but that you keep them. I'm going to prove it to you in a second. Jesus died. His assignment ended. And hours began. The finished work of Jesus wasn't at the cross. It was left with you. The only reason, how, how many of you guys are like middle managers? Like you have a boss, but like you are over a couple of people. The only way that you were able to prove to your boss that you do your job is if the employees do what you told them to do. 
So the only way that Jesus is able to prove to God the Father that sending him to earth and dying and removing himself from him physically was worth it is if we get our act together and start having dominion. So it's almost like God has been sitting at the right hand of God. The, Jesus has been sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and God's looking at Jesus like, okay, so when are you going to prove to me that it was worth it? And Jesus is like, y'all need to get your act together so that my death wasn't in vain. Are y'all with me? God sent Jesus to save the world. But the way in which he did it was by equipping you to save the world. Like, remember we talked about it in the men's series. The way that I save the world as a father is by having children. It's not by ruling over her. So the same way, the way that Jesus loves the earth is by having children, which is us, the sons and the daughters of God. Is it making sense? Okay. Let's go to John 17, 1 through 19. It says, this is the prayer that Jesus is praying while he's on the cross. So Jesus is literally dying. And instead of worrying about his own safety, he's praying for us. Look at your neighbor and say, he was praying for you. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. He basically, in this first five verses... He's talking to God about, like, I came, I did, I came, I saw, I conquered, I did everything that you told me to do back in Gen. Like, I've done it. I've done it. But now here's the proof. Verse 6. He says, I have, re I have revealed you, God, to the ones you gave me. These are the disciples and us. I've revealed you to them. They were always yours. You gave them to me. Even Jesus understands. I don't own these folks. Because you gave them, you gave them to me, and they kept they kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on, the, on to them the message you gave me. So this thing that you told me to do, I've passed on that and I've repurposed it to them. So your salvation isn't good enough. If your salvation doesn't have saving the world or saving a world or fixing a problem, a part of it, you haven't been born again. People think that, yeah, I'm going to go get baptized and give my life to Christ. Nobody has went to heaven on account of being baptized. Baptism is not, it doesn't really do much for God. It just does something for you. Because you can go down in that water, you can be out of that water musty, go down in that water musty, and come back out of that water smelling worse than what you did before. But I was baptized. And that's not going to be good enough evidence when you get to heaven. God, I was baptized. God's going to be like, okay, next. So being born again is not about the spiritual, it's, it's, not, it's not this water washing, but it's a spiritual transformation where now it's like, okay, now that I've gotten my salvation, now my job is to take on the cross of Jesus. That, that's what it says, doesn't it not? It says, I have given them the gift from you that you gave me. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you. So we have a lot of people that are accepting Jesus but don't realize that with their salvation comes a cross. So we're birthing a nation where people are going to church in ridiculous numbers. People are online churches, like these churches that you watch, that, that some of us love to watch. It's absolutely amazing. The teaching is great. But the question is, are we just mass producing people that are getting saved but not reborn? Like they're going to heaven, but the way in which they think hasn't changed. Like they're going to heaven, but the way in which they see the, like the family, the way in which they see government, the way in which they see sickness and disease and health, the way in which they see media, the way in which they see like, like, because you can literally be saved and still be living in hell on earth. So what are we producing? Are we birthing a nation of Christians or are we birthing a, a nation of people that really understand, wow, when I got saved, God gave me my freedom, but now he gave me this mandate to give freedom to every other person that I meet. So the question is, are you really saved if you haven't created that opportunity for someone else? It's like having a vaccine to this epidemic and walking past people as they're sick and dying in the street and being like, let me, let me, let me pray for you. But you got the cure. Write this down. When Jesus died, I received the cure. Every person in here, if you're born again, you have the cure to whatever anybody else is dealing with. The question is, are you in a place to distribute? My prayer is not for the world, but for those who what? Have given me because they, those that you've given me, because they belong to you. Once again, he says, I don't own these folks. 
All who are mine belong to you, and you are given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. Underline this. They are staying. Who? Me. I'm staying here. You have no power in heaven. So earth is so much bigger than just being saved. Why live 80 years of your life and you don't have any accolades on your spiritual resume of you changing something after you were there? What's the point? PK, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Pastor Kylan taught this message like if we really wanted to do it based off of how people think salvation was done, we would have a line of people and they would come up and get saved and then we'd shoot them in the head. Because there's no point in you living afterwards because all you wanted to do was be saved. How tough is that? If all we need to do is for you to be saved, that means that your existence doesn't matter. So that means that once you gave your heart to Christ, your life ended and you took on the mandate of God that now the government that was on your shoulders is now on mine. I have to bring freedom everywhere I go. I have to bring salvation. If there's an area in my life where there's chaos, God, I got the antidote on my shoulders. It's here. Okay, let's, let's move on. He says, they are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Not united with God, that we would be united. So if there is no unity, it's not God. If you have the left and the right, it's not God. If it's a government, it's a government. It's not parties. Parties within a party e equals chaos. There's no Democratic and Republican Party in heaven. There's the kingdom. So when the church rips itself apart because somebody wears red and the other one wears blue, that's not the gospel. I cannot not be friends with you because you voted for who our president is now or the president before or the president's going to be. And if I dislike and if I unfriend you because of that, I'm not born again. I'm just saved. My prayer is not for the world, but it's for who? Those, which is us. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them. Underline verse 14. I have given them your word. So what you're supposed to teach and bring life to people is the word of God, not your opinion. He said, I equipped them with what they need to take care of this virus called religion. It's your word. So if somebody ever says, well, this is what I think, and they can't back it up with Scripture, run. This is what I would do, because the Word says this. If they said, this is what I would do, are you waiting? Nah, that, that ain't it. If your life is important to you, how many of you, your life is important to you? <laughs> Me. Dad, I'm making really great time, sir. This is really great. You should write all my sermons. <clears throat> he says, I've given them your Word, and the world does what? Hates them. Because they do not belong to the world. The world doesn't hate you because you're different. The world hates you because they know that they don't own you. I'm not mad because you're a great person. I'm mad because I can't reap the benefits of you being a great person. The reason why a player is the most valuable player and why coaches hate that player is because they're not on their team. Okay. 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 I'm not asking you, underline it. Hope that woke you up. I am not asking you to take them out of the world. There should be a period there, not a comma, because people keep reading and they hope that something else is going to happen. I'm not asking you to do what? God, don't take them out of the world. Don't take them out of the chaos. Don't take them out of their crazy family. Don't take them out of this person's life that they think they want to divorce. Like, that's not what it is. but to keep them safe from the evil one. Don't take them out of it, but while they're in it, protect them. Somebody's going to get free today! I can't stand this job. That's amazing. That means that you have use there. If it's easy, it's not the gospel. If you can do it in ease, it's not the gospel. If you don't have to ask God for his help, it's not the gospel. So if you, got, if you can do it in your own strength, it's not God. I did it all by myself. There's no God in that because everything that you do once you're born again starts with God. If anything in your life you could say, look what I did, you're not born again. You're just saved. Let me go back. 
I, I messed up. I know. You said keep it short. Don't go on a tangent. I'm sorry, but you wrote it, and it's here. You know. <laughs> keep them safe from evil. Don't deliver them from the issue. Because sometimes the issues is what we created. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth, not by their salvation. You're made holy by your understanding of what this thing is called God's government, not by how you live your life. God doesn't care so, God cares so little about sin that he says that when you bring up sin, I've already forgotten it. Because when I died, I died for everything you've already done. So when you come to me begging and asking for forgiveness, that's what I died for. I died so that you could carry my cross and not be crushed by the weight. Like, so your sin is unimportant. The way in which you prove that you're born again is by the understanding of his truth, which is the word of God. So we're birthing a nation of people that know salvation but cannot recite scriptures. And it's not about reciting scripture so that you can do it, but once you do something in repetition, it literally rolls out in everything that you do. That's why we call these old head people, the people that this generation wants to get rid of, these older people, they have scripture for everything. Every, I, lost, I lost my keys one time at my granny's house. And my granny said, well, the Lord taketh and the Lord giveth. Give and in my head, I'm like, that makes no sense. But to her, she has no other context because she, when she got saved... She was born again, which means that she replaced her opinion with the word of God. Are you saved or are you born again? When you think of helping somebody, does it come from the truth of God or does it come from your opinion? Teach them your word, which is true. Just as you sent me into the word, world, I am sending them into the world. And I gave myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your, by your truth. Next point, God's goal never changed. Being saved and born again are not synonymous. Do you understand that now? They're not the same thing. Synonymous means that, that you can put one in the case of the other. They're not, they're not the same. God never wanted a nation of believers, but he wanted a nation of kings and, and priests. Jesus is not excited about having a whole bunch of people in a room saying, God, I love you. He's like, that's great, but do you know what to do with now your freedom? King means that you rule and you govern in advocacy for others. Because once you become king, you have no life. Once you become king, the government takes care of you so that you don't have to worry about yourself and all you do is give your life to other people. That's why we say the captain goes down with the ship. This is what they're saying. If the ship goes down and I'm the captain, I'm still alive. If there's any person on that ship that's dead and I'm not on that ship, I'm responsible. So I have to go down with the ship. You have to go down with the world. You have to lay, like you literally have to lay your life down and sacrifice. Like you are the captain of this world. That's what God said. Remember? Priest means that you intercede for people and introduce them to relationship with Christ in for themselves. That's why these other religions don't work because they still believe that you have to have a man or a woman standing in between you and God. That's not the gospel. If everything in the word went correctly, Moses, Ruth, Esther, Joseph, all the disciples would have just been really great men and they wouldn't have been necessary because all God wanted was relationship with you one-on-one. -on -one. He never wanted you to have to go through a person to get to him. So anything that has a cross on it, anything that claims to be Christianity where you feel that you have to go through somebody to get to God is not the gospel. You don't need me. You don't need this place. What we're trying to get to is the point of where this is not necessary because it never was. That's why every time Jesus was in a church, he was like, man, what is this? He's flipping stuff like, what is this? But then you walk past the leper and say that they're sick. No, the church is where the leper is. That's, the church is where the prostitute is. The church is where the person that's hungry, that's where the church is, not here. Okay, let me, let me move on. Let me move on. Let's go to uh, uh, Exodus 19, 3 through 6. At this point in time, Moses is talking to God, and God tells Moses, he's a leader, but he says, Moses, don't tell them what our relationship is like. Tell them what I tell you to tell them. That's the role of the pastor. The role of the pastor and the preaching the gospel is to tell you what God wants and not to taint it with our own words. Here it is. God says, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to their descendants of Israel. He says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. 
You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. They weren't delivered into the desert. They were delivered back to God. So when they said, God, this desert isn't good enough, God's like, oh, you're saying I'm not good enough. Underline verse 5. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all of the peoples on earth. For the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people, not come to Jesus and get saved. Right here, when they're at their freedom, God tells Moses, don't tell them that becoming saved is important. I've already delivered them. They're already delivered. So we don't need to worry about bringing people to the altar to get saved. What we need to figure out is how do we bring people to the altar to become equipped? You got your salvation. That's great. You got your freedom. Now, how are you going to use that to prepare freedom for other people? Because we do what? We create and we multiply. Look at your neighbor say multiply. multiply. Point number four is build this church. Build my church. Build your church. Build a church that looks like what everybody else is doing so that we can grow and have big numbers and that we can look like we're saved, but we're... Build. Hold on, wait a minute. Let me see. Build. Build his church. Not the church that we see in our heart. Because one thing that we understand is that in the kingdom, your preference doesn't matter. It does. Your, pre your preference? This is how I feel. And... This means that your salvation is a means to the end. It's not the end. The means of giving your heart to Christ and the means of creating this, I'm sorry, the means of being born again is to build this church. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. It says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this what? Rock, I will do what? Build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church. But we are the church. It says that in the end that God is coming for his bride, and his bride, therefore, is the church. We are the church. God is coming to save the church. Not true. God is not coming to save the church. God is coming to save the world. So the church isn't these four buildings, I mean, these, these four walls. The church is you everywhere that you go. So people go to church when they come to your house. Your, their children go to church when you drive them to soccer practice. Your family goes to church when they read your Facebook post. Like, church isn't these four walls. When Jesus died, it went from being a structure to being people. Look at your neighbor and say, I am the church. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven after you build the church, not after you get saved. So people get frustrated when they get saved and like, I feel like my life is so empty. Yeah, that's not the point of meeting God. It's not just to get saved. You get the keys of the kingdom after you get saved and start building his church. That's why it's so important for you to be a part of a church organization. Not just show up and eat at dinner for free. Get that? But serving. Serving is essential because it's literally you carrying the burden and the weight of the man of God or the woman of God. The one way that you please our pastors isn't by giving. We don't, the, the altar, people, we've messed up this thing in church where the altar call is the most powerful point. God doesn't care about no altar call because it's the same people at the same altar call every week. You've been getting saved since 78, sir. Like, just give, just give up, bro. Give up. That's no, not God. Like, like, God's not worried about you getting saved. What God wants to know is have you been redeemed and born again? When you come into the altar, changes from God help me and save my life to God, I need strategy. There's an issue in my department, and I need some help. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. God, I'm serving in this department, and it's great, and I love my team lead, but God, I have this idea. How, how can you help me fashion it so I can help this ministry or this department work better? Your ideas shouldn't be thrown in a trash can because you're afraid of sharing them. That's the kingdom on the inside of you trying to come up. Share your ideas. That's how we grow. Our capacity grows when our leaders get to sit down. Just like our church grows when our pastors don't have to be here. Mom and dad, isn't it different knowing that you can go on a, on a dinner date with your wife and know that your children take care of one another? So how do we build God's church? These are our core values. These are the things I was trying to get here. I was trying to get here. These are, these are the things. 
that pastor wants us to understand. These are our AWC core values. I want you to write these down. Number one is that we have a simple presentation of the gospel of the kingdom in unique and creative ways that will impact and transform lives. That's our first core value, is that we present to the world the kingdom message and the gospel simply. If it's too hard for you to understand, we haven't done our job. The kingdom should not be difficult. That's the reason why people don't believe that they can budget, because they think it's too hard for them. Budgeting works at every level, amen? So the kingdom works at every level. The person that's been in it for 30 years and the person that's been here for 30 seconds. The second core value is that every person is valuable. How many people? Some people. People that live north of 32nd and west of Dodge, right? That's not possible because our numbers, you see, that was backwards. Every person is valuable and was created to be a leader who influences the world around him or her. We don't create number twos. We only have star players. That's the reason why the Bulls were so dope, because every single person on their team had a 99 rating on 2K. And they, they still do. And you cheat if you use the 96 Bulls. I'm coming for you. You cheater. Third core value is that a powerful church is one filled with love, servant leadership, and worship. What's it filled of? Love, servant leadership, and worship. Our fourth core value, and this is how we at AWC build the church. This is the church that we're building and that has been built and that we're going to maintain. We believe in God's great love for diversity. God's great love for what? Rulership over people because they're diverse. Like the star belly sneeches in Dr. Seuss. Anybody remember those? We believe in God's great love for diversity. Therefore, we commit to intentionally, not on accident. So if you see somebody in this room that doesn't look like you, we were prepared for that and we planned it. The gospel is intentional. It's not something that just happens. We believe in God's great love of diversity. Therefore, we commit to intentionally building an ethically, culturally, and generationally diverse community of believers on purpose. We will not throw our seniors away. We can't. When the children were leaving Egypt, the first thing that God said was take care of the elderly. Not take the gold. It even said so much, if there are any elderly that are single with you, they must be married because they're better together. So, like, there are some marriages that have to happen in our church of people that are over 50. That's not apostolic. That's not like a, like a prof prophetic. No, you need to get married because a lot of these young people in this room need grandparents. We need both. We need our babies. Our babies don't just need to be singing, uh, sitting in, in our children's area singing about how great God is. No, we need to be talking to them as we're rocking them. You're about to be great. Like, you're about to bust the world wide open. Like, because our babies get it. They talk and we think it's babble, but I honestly think that they're speaking the language of heaven. You ever seen a baby when they just start looking around? I think they see stuff we don't see. They're like, wait a minute. How are y'all letting this happen? In the Hey, somebody get that. And they start screaming and crying. And we discipline them. And they're like, hey, I just came from heaven. I'm court order, bro. I know what's going on right here. <laughs> so this is our why. Here we go. Number one. Look at your neighbor. Say there's one God. There is one nation. And he is the king of us all. There is one God. One nation. That is the children of God who are born again. Not Protestant, not Catholic, not Muslim, not Buddhist. There's those of us that have been born again that we are a part of this new race that is called this nation of Jesus. They were birthing a nation here, people. The second thing is that we believe in unity, not hate. Look at your neighbor. Say unity, not hate. God's ultimate desire was to showcase his love through unity as a solution to hate and human division. Policy doesn't fix what's going on in our world today. It's this. Because every single part of Omaha, Nebraska is represented in this room right now. Socioeconomic, mental health, everything. Male, female, families that are together, families that are broken, families that are on their way to becoming back together. It's all here. This is unity. Unity isn't hugging people in the street. Unity is building something together for the glory of God. That's the gospel. Third, peculiar disciples of Christ. By our love... And, and righteous living, God's people, we display the culture of his nation. Basically what that means is that by you living a free life, you give people this example of what true living is. 
Born again isn't taking somebody to get baptized. I show you how to be born again when you come to my house and it's paid for. One of the biggest and best compliments that we get is when people come to our house and fall asleep. We're watching a movie and they're asleep. We're having dinner and they're dozing because that means that our, our space is a place of peace. This is, the this is the gospel. We've been born again because now just being in my presence, you get God's presence. Number four, we build the nation. Come on, somebody yell it. Build the nation. The kingdom principles and concepts to ensure God's plan throughout generation to generation. The one way that we build God's church is making sure that AWC is here in 100 years, which means that people have to keep having babies. Don't get weird. We have to keep getting married within the constitutes of God, of the word. You have to be married and then have children because what you're doing is you're building a foundation so that your children can keep doing it. And the curses that you're dealing with and your grandparents dealt with, your, your babies don't got to deal with. What if your babies heard the word poverty and didn't understand it? What if they heard divorce and like, I don't, doesn't comprehend what, you mean mom leaves dad? That, I don't, we don't do that over here. Because we're the nation of the living God and we're baptized in the blood. And that means that once I marry you, you're mine to keep. And I can't do it in my own strength. Because a pastor once said that anything I try to do in my own strength and doesn't need God isn't enough. So I can't love Vanessa. I need God to help me love her because she's a lot. There's a lot there that I don't understand, but I don't want to understand it because once I understand it, I own it. God, give me revelation to take care of it. Like, like, we build a nation by building strong families. Amen? Last point. We are favored for this work. I, I don't want to just teach you and you feel some type of way. Pastor Martin wanted to make sure that you're favored. Pastor Martin called me this morning. Well, I called him and I was like, Dad, I need you to anoint me because there's a difference between prayer and anointing. Prayer is when you ask God to bring his anointing to something. But anointing is when Joseph takes off his coat and he puts it on somebody that he wants to have it. It's, it's, it's when you take the sweat of your brow in the Hebrew and you flick it on somebody. We won't do that now because of Rona out there. But I anoint you not with the oil, but I anoint you with the oil that's mixed in with my sweat. Because the working part of God is the oil. The working part of a man is the sweat from his brow. So when I take both of those, now I'm anointing you with what God has, but I'm also anointing you with my experience. What pastor wants you to know here is that you are favored for this work because your pastor up here isn't afraid of other people leading. Churches that don't grow are where pastors are afraid of people having dominion. That's why your leaders in your departments, if you're serving, whenever you bring a problem to them, they're like, hey, fix it. You have the wrong mindset when you say, man, they want me to do so much work. No, it's you have this amazing idea. Why wouldn't you be the one to put your stamp of approval on it? Look at your neighbor and say, we are favored for this work. It's the last part. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, New Living Testament. It says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, generation. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Out of darkness into wonderful light is salvation. See how it's at the end of the sentence and not the beginning? It doesn't say, hey, you've been brought out of darkness into marvelous light. They say, like, yeah, you've been saved, but let's talk about that at the end of the sentence. The most important thing is that you are a chosen people. Listen to this in the ESV. It says, the same scripture, right? But you are a chosen race. Which means that once you get saved, your race hasn't changed. You're still an individual in Christ. But once you become born again, you get folded into this race of people that don't just protect you, but they protect God's house. The best part about eating salads is when they toss it with the dressing. That's why I love Caesar salads, because I don't have to do so much work. And all of the pieces taste like one another. I hate garden salads, because then you put stuff on, and then you taste, and it's just like, why didn't they cut this tomato? Why didn't they give me a whole, cut this boy up and throw it in the sauce? We're like a Caesar salad, y'all. I'm sorry. That's a bad analogy. But when somebody meets me, and when they meet you, it's the same glory that God has. Because we're a part of a new race. We're a part of a new culture. We're building a nation of people that when you meet me, you've met everybody. When you've met me, you've met AWC. When they meet you, when you're outside of Omaha, they've met our culture. 
it should get to the point that when they meet you, they're like, man, I, I feel like I've been meeting you everywhere. Like, yeah, you have, because we're one nation under God. One nation under God. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for this own, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Luke 4, 16, and this is it. There's no altar call, but I want you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. It's not, it's not an altar call, but we are going to now... This is the part where we take action. How many of you are looking to be born again? Not just, I don't want to be saved. Like, I want to know that I know that I know that I'm not just going to heaven, but that I have some power. Amen? Anybody else? Listen to this. First Peter talks about where, what we're supposed to proclaim. This is what we're supposed to proclaim. Luke 4, 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Is upon who? Come on, say it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Come on, say it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me, you, he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Not to, to the poor. That's the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's the gospel. To proclaim liberty to who? The captives. That's the gospel. And recovery of sight to the blind. Liberty to those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Our job in being born again is to do a couple of things. It's to preach the gospel to those that don't have anything. They're poor. It's for us to heal those that are brokenhearted. How many of you have been brokenhearted? You want to go back there? Why not? Wasn't it fun? Wouldn't you want everybody to feel all put together like you? Our job is to proclaim liberty to those that are captive. How many of you were captive? You were wrapped up in some stuff. You didn't even know how ugly it was until you saw it dead in the grave. I didn't know it was that bad. I didn't know my depression was that bad until I saw it. We're supposed to recover those sight to the blind. How many of you, you remember, I didn't see that. Then God delivered you and you're looking back at it like, wow, that was a huge blind spot. What if you were to reveal sight to people that are blind, that are in your cubicle right next to you, that are that your neighbor is like is, is blind? Wouldn't you like to give them sight? And the last thing is this, liberty to those that are oppressed. We are in a time right now where our nation, our world, our neighborhood is like there's this pressure that's coming down on them. But our job is to be a nation under God. And the way that we lift up oppression is by lifting our hands. Come on, let's lift up our hands.